Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another very exciting episode of the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. Really excited about today's episode. We are really going to take it to the dispensational crowd today. And as much as I, I love those people, when it comes to this subject, I just, I'm not going to be able to show any mercy today. We are just, I'm going to lay out facts. And I'm doing this from a heart of love, even though uh, I might come across as being a little mean uh, sometimes, but they are in great error when it comes to Israel. And so we do, we talk a lot about Israel on this program. I have a lot of discussions with people on this. And unfortunately, when you have this discussion, um, there is a lot of talking past each other that takes place. And I personally feel like a lot of times it's out of ignorance on their side because there's many who have not heard out people like myself. And so they, they don't know the arguments. And so they're kind of clueless and they're way behind on a lot of things. Sometimes I think they're playing dumb on purpose because they don't have a good response to what we're saying. So they typically will just go to the slogans that are misleading and that are often too just kind of show straw men. You know, they'll say things like God's not done with Israel and they'll say it with great pomp and conviction. Uh, you know, they will say things, the church never replaced Israel. God's going to keep his promises. I mean, if God doesn't keep his promise to Israel, how do we know he's not going to keep his promise to you? And they'll just say things like that as if we believe God broke his promise to Israel. That's absolutely ridiculous. And it's like, are you, are you trying to have an intelligent conversation or are you just trying to look like you want an argument? And often I'm afraid there, I, it's, it's rare that you come across the people that want to have an honest discussion. And I think this is a discussion that, you know, these people, if they've actually studied their Bible, if they've done like they say, they did their own study and they came to this conclusion, then they should be prepared for what I'm about to show. But I'm going to put a challenge out there. I want someone who is pro-Israel. I want them to come on this podcast and what I would like for you to do is I would like, I would like to go through some passages of scriptures, Romans 9, 10, 11. Uh, I'm going to mainly focus on some passages in Hebrews today, but what I'm going to, I'm going to use some visual illustrations as we go through these passages. And I want to see you, you know, respond. I want to see you with these visual illustrations explain your point because what's happening is people are, are giving lines that they've got from their books, uh, their Bible colleges, things they are seeing tweeted and everybody liking, and they are not, they're not, um, defining what they believe. And I, I'm going to become very specific today. I, I want, I'm not just going to make general vague statements. I'm going to be very specific. Okay. And you ought to be able to be specific. You know, when you have to be vague, it's probably because there's some errors in your argument or be just because you're not real confident about what you believe. But I think the more confident you are, the more precise you ought to be able to get with um, what you believe and how you articulate something. So when it comes to the subject of Israel, all right, that, that word Israel, we're hearing that word thrown around a lot. You know, with when we see what's going on in the Middle East, people are talking about Israel. 
But what specifically do you mean? Okay, when you use the word Israel in a sentence, in what way are you using that word? Because there's a lot of ways that you can use the word Israel. In fact, we're not gonna take time to go there, but you can look this up. The first time we see the word Israel mentioned in the Bible, it is actually talking about an individual. Okay, I'm gonna use this picture to illustrate Israel the man, Israel the individual. This is Jacob setting up a stone for a pillar. <clears throat> Jacob is a man. God changed his name to Israel. Many times in the Bible, when it uses the word Israel, it's talking about an individual. Okay? Now, dispensationalists, they will take any passage about that uses the word Israel and they will use that word any way that fits their agenda at that moment. But no, when we look at the scriptures, are we talking about Israel, the individual? Or sometimes when we talk about Israel in the Bible, or even today when we're talking about Israel, we're referring to Israel as in the land, a geographical location, right? Here is a map of Israel back in the day when they possessed the land. Uh, and it's showing where the different tribes, uh, what they possessed. So we've got the land of Israel as it was divided up in the days of the scriptures. And the, during the time of Christ, that is the land of Israel. So sometimes when we talk about Israel, we're referring to a geographical location. Now, if I say I'm going to go to Israel, in fact, I was supposed to go to Israel next week. But uh, with all that's going on, uh, we decided to postpone that trip. If I went to Israel today, I wouldn't be going to um, a geographical location like this because the reality is Israel does not possess all of this land not, um, today. It's not divided up this way today. If I went to Israel, I would be going to something more like this right here where we see uh, what Israel looked like in uh, 1946. Let me zoom in on this a little bit. And then after the UN plan in 1947, because or in 46, it was like all that green was Palestine. And then in 47, uh, Israel became a nation and that geography uh, is what represented Israel. After the six day war, it expanded. Here in 2012, uh, we see it expanded a lot more. There's not a whole lot of green left. There's not a whole lot of Palestine left. So the truth is, um, you know, even the geographical location, it, it changes, okay? That happens in a nation, okay? In the United States, it originally was just 13 colonies and it has expanded uh, over, over time. Geographies can change. So when we talk about Israel, are you talking about the geographical location from the Bible days or the geographical location of today? Some of it's the same. Some of it is... Israel now, some of it's Palestine now. So, you know, let's be specific. Sometimes when it's talking about Israel, uh, it's referring to the people, okay? It's referring to the people, the children of Israel. This is a picture that represents the children of Israel that God gave the law to at Mount Sinai. These are the people who came out of Egypt. These are the descendants of Jacob, of Israel, the individual who had been in Egypt for 400 years and God brings them out and he brings them, they go to Mount Sinai and God gives them the law. God gives them 
that old covenant we're going to talk about here in a little bit. So is that what we're talking about? Israel, the people? Because sometimes in the Bible, it's referring to the children of Israel, the individual, the people of Israel, the uh, the nation. But understand at Mount Sinai, and I'll talk a little bit more about this later, God gave Israel something very important. God gave them the you know Old Testament. God gave them that old covenant, the law. We'll go to that in a little bit. And it's important we understand that because did you know a nation is nothing, one without a people? A nation is nothing without a land. And a, la- a nation is nothing without some kind of law showing what it means to be of that nation, of that land, of that people. We should understand that as Americans, okay? When did our country get started? Well, obviously, we declared our independence in 1776, and we have the Declaration of Independence. We have the Constitution. We have a law that makes us a people. And of course, as a people, we have a land as well. We've got the 50 states that are, and we are, and all of those 50 states, all of that land um, is supposed to be under the constitution that is the law of our land and in our, as a nation too, uh, we, we are, we are, a, we are a people, okay? you know, there, there are a people and uh, we have in, and in America, it's not about genetics. It's not about biology. We come from all different groups and all, all different backgrounds, but it means something to be an American. Okay. And understand I am an American. Okay. Why? Well, because I fit the requirements that's in our constitution, that's in our law. I was born in this country. And so even ethnically, I am an American. It's the only country I've ever known, the only country I've ever, I've ever lived in. But understand too, if I were to leave this land, if I was to go to another country and I had children that were born in that country and, you know, later on my descendants, They've all lived in that country. They've never lived in this land. You know, could they call themselves Americans because they descend from me? Well, no, not really. Not according to this constitution. Okay. Not according to the way the laws work in our nation. So the big question is, do people who descend from those who God gave that covenant to, do, are they? necessarily of Israel, of that nation, just because they descend. Is that what we see in the Old Testament? Is that what we see in the law? That anyone who descends, whether they can prove it or not, anyone who claims a descent from these people, all right, that they are technically Israel, they are technically Jews. Is that what we see according to the law of God? So what are we talking about? Because when you say I support Israel, I stand with Israel. Do you mean you're standing with these people right here? Is that what you're talking about? Or does it mean you're standing with people like this right here? Netanyahu. Okay. And hopefully you're watching this on video and not just listening on audio. Uh, You'll be, uh, you won't understand some of the context of what I'm saying. Because I don't know if you realize it, but this guy and these people are actually opposed to each other. You know, whenever it's like, I stand with the Jews, I want to be a blessing of the Jews. What do you, what do you mean those people? Or do you mean guys like him? Because 
You can't really bless both of those people. They are at odds with each other. They have uh, very different beliefs. This is what we're looking at right now is a secular Jew. These are religious Jews. So even when you talk about Jews, are you referring to a, a genetic people? Because I, I mean, I'll give it to them. All right. I'll give it to them. These people are ethnically Jews. This guy is ethnic, ethnically Jewish. Also, this guy is ethnically Jewish. Do you stand with him? Do you want to be a blessing to Bernie Sanders? You think God will bless you for blessing Bernie Sanders because he is a Jew, even though he's actually pretty much opposed to this guy. He doesn't believe like these people. He doesn't practice like these people. Which Jews do you stand with? Which Jews do you support? And what and and how do you do that? Because if it's supporting an agenda and and all three of these different people, they've all got different agendas. You know, who are you actually standing with? The reality is when you are a dispensationalist, when you are a when you are a pro-Israel person, you just say whatever you need to say at that moment to hopefully win an argument that you are losing big time. When you go to the scriptures and you read about Israel, if you need it, if you need it to be about an, an ethnic group, if you need it to be about these people, you will apply to these people. If you need it to be about a political thing, you will make it about this guy. Okay. And most Zionists, they're not going to make it about this guy because he's a Democrat. But at the same time, um, why is he any less Jewish than these people are? You say, well, one's religious and, and biological. One is only biological. Well, what about this guy? Because he's a secular Jew. He's a Zionist. And that's an opposition to what the Orthodox Jews believe. So, so which is it? Okay. And one thing you will never get from a dispensationalist is consistency in these arguments. They're not capable of being consistent because they are in error. And when you are in error, your arguments are eventually all going to fall apart. That's just the way it works. So uh, notice all these different Israels because any of them can mean that many people We'll share pictures of this guy. I stand with Israel. Okay, so does that mean I stand with that Israel? Or I stand with the, I've stood in the land of Israel. Or are you talking, because here, and let's just admit this, okay? Most dispensationalists, when they say all this foolishness, they believe that this Israel, the people of Israel, that God gave a gave that old covenant to, they associate these people with these people and with this guy. They, they have put them all together. Now, let me ask you, what makes this guy connected with these people? What makes these people from the Old Testament connected with these people? Is it just genetics? Because if it, again, if it's just genetics, you have no scripture to back up what you're saying. It means something to be of Israel. Okay, it means something, and people are always talk about God never broke His covenant with Israel. Okay, now the Bible does talk about them breaking the covenant with God, but that's why God brought in made a new covenant. We'll talk. We'll say something about that. But so here, here's what we have going on today. You know, in the Bible, we have these people right here that are, they are kind of a, a big theme. They are a big focal point. 
They have uh, God's blessing and God's protection on them. And so people today, you know, just like they see God do miraculous things with these people, they also believe that basically this guy represents the same thing and the same people. And I believe they're greatly in error with that. And they've got no way to back up that claim with scripture. They can't prove that scripturally at all. In fact, it's extremely contrary to scripture to connect what we have going on today with this land to what we had going on back in the day, in the Bible days with this land. You have no scriptural uh, basis for that whatsoever. And so I, when I talk about Israel, okay, I want to be very clear. Okay, When I talk about God making a covenant with Israel and how that covenant was fulfilled and how he did keep his promises to Israel, because okay, nobody denies God is going to keep his promises or that God kept his promises. God doesn't lie. Okay. But we can have misunderstandings about what God promised. And I believe that's when where dispensationalists are very wrong. Now to sum it all up. Okay. And we're going to go through some scriptures here in a little bit. This is what we need to understand when the Bible talks about a covenant. All right. When it got to, when it talks about Abraham's seed, for example, the promises to Israel all find their fulfillment right here through Jesus Christ. And I, I'm, I'm horrified that we even have to, that this is even controversial. But folks, right here is where we find fulfillment of prophecy and all the promises to Israel. So how does this work exactly? When we say these things are all fulfilled, through Jesus Christ. Okay. And that sounds like it's just a cliche, something we can easily say, but how does that work exactly? Okay. What do we mean by that? Because here's the thing that nobody is doing for me in the dispensational world. Nobody is showing me biblically how these people here are connected to these people. Okay. Because when we talk about God making promises to Israel, God making a covenant with Israel, we're, we're all talking about these people right here. These ones who came out of Egypt, that descended from Jacob, that uh, God gave a law to in Mount Sinai. We would all agree when it comes to the promises that God made to them. And God will keep those promises. And God did keep those promises. Okay. We would all, we would all agree about that. But somewhere okay, in the dispensational world, they are connecting these people with them rather than people like myself, rather than those who are of faith. Uh, rather than those who are in Christ. That's what they're doing. They're making the connect somehow. And I, I need to know where you're making that connection. Okay. I make my connection to Israel through Christ. Okay. This is, this is my claim to the promises to Israel. Jesus was from Israel. He descended from there. He was Abraham's seed. He was the one that was prophesied that in him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. He was the heir. He is the one that God uh, has made heir of all things. I am a joint heir with Christ. And so when it comes to the promises that God made to these people, my connection to, to those promises is through Jesus Christ. Now, what I want you to explain to me, okay, I want somebody to come on here and explain to me how these people right here, how 
or how I guess to say how these people, and I hope everybody's watching this, otherwise this isn't going to make sense, how these people are connected to these people. Where is the connection? Where is the proof of their connection? Because some would say, well, biologically, okay, but you can't, they can't prove it. All right. And, and even if it, even if biologically is okay, I need some scripture on that. I need you to show me the script. I need to show you to show me scripturally where the cut, the, this covenants, these promises were about a biological connection connection. I've already shown it's not about biology. We proved that when God made the covenant with Abraham, it didn't go to Israel or Ishmael. It didn't go to Keturah's sons. It, uh, it didn't go to Esau. So I need you to show me when it became biological. It never was biological. Therefore, you know, I'm interested in seeing how you're, how you're going to prove that. So understand that I, I, I'm just showing you right now my connection. It's through Jesus Christ. Okay. So the thing is too, when it comes to the Israel of today, right? When it comes to Netanyahu, when it comes to this Israel, okay? The modern state of Israel, the modern geographical location with borders that are very different from what they were in the Bible days. What makes this place Israel? That's what I want you to know. And I want you to explain to me what makes this place the same Israel that we see in the Old Testament. Why is this Israel that we're looking at the same as this Israel? Why is this Israel the same as this Israel, right? I believe they're very different. Okay? I, I believe they are, they are very different. And I believe that when it comes, that God is in fact finished because he kept his promises with this Israel. Y'all see that? God, God's finished with this. I'm going to show you some Bible on that. Okay? God, this is, and I know right there, your head's just exploded, but let me just show you, let me show you something or some things from the scriptures to prove what I'm telling you. All right. So let's go ahead now and let's go to some scriptures. Okay. I hate to bring the Bible into this conversation, but that's what we're going to do because some of y'all aren't getting it. And what you all will do is what's so frustrating when you go to Romans nine, 10 and 11. This is what, this is what everyone does when they're, uh, just absolutely destroying Romans chapter 11 is they will go to, and they'll use this in chapter nine and 10 too. They will show where sometimes the word Israel is referring to a people. Okay. And therefore, you know, every time we see that word, it's about that. But folks, I've already showed you and you would all agree. Sometimes Israel is an individual. Sometimes Israel is a land. And sometimes Israel is referring to a people of the old covenant. There's, there's no doubt. There's, there's no doubt about that. But again, I'm telling you, and I've proved this from the scripture before, we'll do more of it today. And that the way God kept his promise, the fulfillment of the promises that he made to those people right there, were fulfilled through Jesus Christ, which is why we will often refer to him as the true Israel, right? Because he, and he legally was, he was from Israel. He took on him the seed of Abraham. He was Abraham's seed. So 
Um, let's go ahead and take some time looking at some scriptures. So let's go ahead and look at uh, Hebrews chapter 8. And I'm, I want to be very specific. So notice here he says, uh, we'll start in verse uh, 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now, I'm, I'm going to get specific with you right now. When God said, uh, I'm going to make a covenant with the house of Israel. Now, in the dispensational world, they act like this is something that's still to come. And they'll say, see, God's not done with them because he's going to make a covenant with the house of Israel. Well, wait, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, God made a covenant with the house of Israel. Now, obviously, this represents them when they were in Mount Sinai. But for sure, you can connect these people to the Israel in Jesus's day. Without a doubt, you, you can do that. And Jesus did. Jesus made a covenant with the house of Israel, and he did that in first century. Okay. And he did that. We see when he took his disciples and he says, this cup is the new Testament of my blood. And there are, there are more and more Baptists. I'm going to be preaching on this Sunday who are trying to separate the new Testament from the new covenant which is absolutely ridiculous and heresy. Okay, that is that is heresy and it's dumb. Okay? It is it is dumb to do that and I'm not going to take the time to share that. I uh, did it last week on a program some with Pastor Clem. I'm going to be showing a lot more evidence of the stupidity of that teaching on Sunday. But um the new covenant came. He made that new covenant with the house of Israel. Okay? And again, I need you to connect these people to the Israel in the first century. How do you do that? How do you connect these people to the Israel in the first century? And you're going to see why I keep bringing this up as we're going to go into Hebrews written to the Jews and look at some of the legal details of things that you all have to ignore. Okay. The great thing about not being dispensations, we don't have to ignore any scripture. We can use all of it. But uh, so again, people make this about the future. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but we talked about it uh, last week in the program. I talked about this on Sunday, but it says, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for all shall know me from the least to the greatest for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more in that he saith the new covenant, he hath made the first old and that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And so what people do in their foolishness, is like, well, we have to teach people to know the Lord today. Well, we have to teach lost people to know the Lord. But those who are a part of that new covenant, we don't need to teach them to know the Lord. They, they know the Lord. They learned about him through the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when they believed on him, it was they, because they, they, they heard the message. They were introduced to Christ. They believed on him. And they know the Lord. Everyone in that covenant, in the new covenant, knows the Lord. Nobody's born into the new covenant. You could be born into the old covenant and many were born in that old covenant, but you could also be cut off those who were in that old covenant. And I preached about that on Sunday. I'm, I'm not going to spend any more time on that, but I dare you to uh, doubt what I'm telling you on that because I'll just, I'll prove you wrong 15 different ways. So, um, I want to focus on what he, when he said that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away, referring to the old covenant. It is ready 
to vanish away. Now, understand that old covenant, that is what made these people Israel. Okay, just like, you know, we had a, uh, you know, we have a declaration of independence or in a constitution. Okay, I understand this is a picture of the declaration of independence, but we have a constitution. That's what makes us a nation. Okay? And understand Israel had something too that made them a nation. They had that old covenant, the old Testament. That is what made them a nation that they had laws. And so we do, we have a constitution. We have laws that we are under that makes us America. And, uh, and, and we're, I'm thankful for that. And so Israel had the same thing. Now, if it's possible that someday another army could come in, defeat us, take over and could render the constitution null and void and we might get put under a completely new system and they could even change the name of our country and we would no longer be America. We would be in the geographical location of former America, but we might become new China or something like that. That could happen someday. And understand Israel under that old, that old covenant, it did, it eventually went away. Uh, you know, we could have our system of government overthrown. We have an executive and a legislative and judicial branches of government that are, that are co-equal that, you know, make our laws, interpret our laws, enforce our laws. We have those things in, in our, in our country. If those things were to be overthrown, we would no longer be the America of old. And so what made Israel, Israel that we read about in the Bible is that old covenant, but that old covenant went away. Okay, that old covenant went away. So, well, then what about the promises? The promises are fulfilled in the new covenant, okay? In a new and better covenant. And so when people are, you know, they try talking about this Israel, like they talk about that Israel, that doesn't make any sense because this Israel is for sure not following the laws of the old covenant. They are not following the practices of the old covenant. Even religiously, these people are not following the practices that were under the old covenant. And even if they did come up with something that resembled that, if they were to build a temple and start doing the sacrifices, understand the one who gave them the old covenant, the one who finished with the old covenant and let it wax away, uh, old and vanish away would not be behind it. He would not be for it. He brought in a new and permanent covenant. And we're reading about that in Hebrews. So there is no, there is no uh, political connection with these people to these people. There's no, there's no biblical connection. The, the, it, it doesn't exist. What God instituted here at Mount Sinai is gone. And let's, let's look at that because what did he say? Here in this first century, in this first generation of Jews that were under the old covenant and that lived to see the new covenant come, to see the Messiah. What did he tell them? That old covenant from Mount Sinai is ready to vanish away. What is that exactly? Well, let's go to chapter nine because he's continuing his, his thought and there's not a Baptist in the planet that has not preached from Hebrews chapter nine and applied it to the church and rightfully so. Because you better believe this applies to us. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 9. Look what it says. Then verily the first covenant 
the Old Covenant, had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubims of glory, shadowing the mercy seat, of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now, when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest uh, of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the surface perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. So right here, the writer of Hebrews has made something very clear that the things of the old covenant, okay, that they were temporary. And so that old covenant, that law, it was temporary. It served a purpose. Galatians tells us that the law was given until the seed should come to the, whom the promises were made. Those things were temporary. That law was given at Mount Sinai, the law was the law was given to these people at Mount Sinai. That's where God instructed Moses in the things of the tabernacle and in the sacrifices and in the feasts and in all those things that they did, all those laws that they had. Again, just like we got a law back in the day with the Constitution, understand Israel was given a law back in that day and understand our Constitution. Thankfully, right now, it's still barely surviving and hanging on. Uh, but I don't know. I don't think it's going to last forever. I think it will eventually go away and understand the things that God gave Israel at that time. They vanished away. He finished with them and notice because he said those things that those those sacrifices, those carnal ordinances, they couldn't make someone perfect. They couldn't they they couldn't make anything complete, but they were temporary. They did matter. They they served a purpose until the seed should come. And the seed came. And so, again, this is why we don't, we're not just being cliche when we show how these things were fulfilled in Christ. The promises and the things that God gave Israel at Mount Sinai, these things were finished, they were completed, and they were fulfilled. And God kept his promises right here. Because the things that God gave Israel at Mount Sinai, they could not take away sins, but they did serve a purpose until the time of Reformation that Jesus Christ brought in and he reformed all those things and he changed all those things when he finished them. He, he completed the things that God gave Israel on Mount Sinai. Jesus completed those things on the cross and brought in the new and better covenant. And right here, this picture represents that new and better covenant where the blood of Christ was shed. It, he, he finished that. So let's go back to the scriptures. Hebrews 9:11 But Christ being come in high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this building neither by the blood of goats and calves but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place having obtained eternal redemption for us 
For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of heifers, sprinkling of the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now watch this next verse. This is important. Get a hold of this. And for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are recalled might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Right here is a verse that you will not hear expounded on in the dispensational world. But let me slow way down and show you what this is showing to the Hebrews because they were used to annual sacrifices and all those you know uh, daily and annual things that God gave them. And the writer of Hebrews is making the claim. No, the one-time sacrifice of Jesus Christ takes care of things forever, which would have been a foreign concept to them. Now, it's all we've ever known. But for them, that was a very foreign concept, which would then bring up the question, okay, if Jesus brought in this new and better covenant, one-time sacrifice, all that, well, what about everybody from the past? What about the people God made the promises to, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and all those people, the children of Israel, those who were of faith, Aaron, all these people we, we're going to see mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. What about all of them? It shows right here that Jesus, okay, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, the death of Christ, for the redemption of transgressions that were under the first testament, the sins that people did under the first testament under the old testament under the old covenant they also were able to have that promise if they, those that were called might have the promise of eternal inheritance those who were of faith would all also be included this is very specifically showing that even though those sacrifices couldn't take away sin they did serve a purpose they were a picture they were to teach israel things that was how israel was taught to know the lord was through those things. But what actually cleansed Israel's sins was not the blood of bulls and goats, but it was the blood of Jesus Christ. His blood took care of all of those of the past. So folks, again, this is where my connection is to Israel of the, of the Old Testament. My connection is through Jesus Christ. Not because I, I can prove some descent from these people. No, but because I was born again through faith in Jesus Christ, I now have a connection to those from this time that God made promises to. Now, here's another thing too, just a side note, everyone agree with. You realize most of the people, I, I get this isn't a real picture, but do you realize most of the people represented in this picture probably went to hell? You know why? Because this generation died in the wilderness. You know why? Because they had no faith. They died in the wilderness. They did not enter into his rest. They will not be with us in heaven. Now there was a remnant. We have Joshua and Caleb. And we and and you know, and there were all the ones that were under 20, you know, they uh, you know, they were preserved and they were able to go into the promised land. But understand, you know, the, those from the uh, past were included. It was not everyone who was ever under that old covenant and of Israel. It was the called. It was those who are of faith. They are the ones who are covered by the blood of Christ. So 
I'm not so much claiming a connection to an ethnicity because most of that ethnicity went to hell, but I am claiming a connection to those who had promises given to them, those who are of faith, like Abraham. I'm claiming connection to them. And what connects us is not a biology. It's not a performance of the law, but it's faith. And that faith was in Jesus Christ. Obviously, they had faith in the shadows of Jesus Christ and what he would do. I have faith in the finished work of what Jesus, uh, of what Jesus Christ did. But either way, what Jesus did on the cross is what cleansed me from my sins and, and is what enabled me to be born again. And so uh, I do have a connection to Abraham and to those that the promises were made to. Do we really think that those of Israel, do, do you all think, and I know you don't, but I'm just, I'm making a point. Do you think Korah, Dathan, and Abiram who got swallowed up, okay, the ground swallowed them up when they withstood Moses, do we think they have any claim to the promises of God? No, they're in hell and they're not getting out of there except to be thrown in the lake of fire. So obviously, you know, do we think these people who fell in the wilderness have a claim to the promises of God? Of course not. But obviously those of faith that were from back, back then do have a claim to the promises of God. So here's the thing. If all of these people don't even have a claim who are dead, what makes these people all of a sudden have some kind of claim? What makes this guy all of a sudden have some kind of claim? What makes this guy all of a sudden have some kind of claim on the promises of God? This makes absolutely no sense. So Hebrews, Hebrews 9, we're seeing where our connection is. Jesus is that mediator of the New Testament. Folks, we practice the Lord's Supper. Okay, Jesus says this, this cup, this blood, it's the New Testament. Okay, And we partake in that. Why? Because we put our faith and trust in Christ. Right here in Hebrews, he's writing about this to the Jews. Let's go ahead and read a little bit more. It says, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet and wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people saying, this is the blood of the testament, which God enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood, both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no Remission. And let me just stop there for a minute. So I want you to notice how he talked about the, the Testament, that old Testament, that it was sprinkled with blood. Now here's the difference. And, and, and I'm going to right now preach some of my message from Sunday morning, but here's the difference between a Testament and a covenant. Okay. Let me, let me explain it this way. Okay. This is why I'm going to explain it in church. All right. So all, all my church members, you're going to have to hear this again Sunday. I'm sorry about that, but sometimes we need things twice. Suppose that my wife and I, we get together with our children and we, we talk to them and say, all right, when we die, we want this to go to this child and this to go to this child, any money that's left, you have to split it, you know, eight ways, you know, and we do, we come up with a, um, a covenant you could say, and we do, we make an agreement. Me and my wife agree. 
our kids all agree, we all have an understanding, this is what's going to happen with all our stuff after we die. We made it, we've made an agreement, we've made a covenant. Now, what typically people do when they make an agreement or a covenant is they will write out a last will and testament. And so what we would do, we would take paper and we would, uh, I, don't, I don't have any you know, papers in front of me, but we would, we would take out paper and we would write out the details of that covenant that we all agreed to. Okay? And that right there is a testament, a testament. And that testament is going to say exactly what we all agreed on verbally. And then, but we have that testament that way later on, if there's some kind of dispute or some kind of question, we have the proof of what we all agreed on. And so understand God made a covenant with Abraham. God made a covenant with Israel, but he didn't just say it and leave it to memory. It was also written down in the scriptures and that writing of that covenant that is describing the exact same thing that was discussed verbally. That is the Testament. And then another thing we would do if after we write up our last will and Testament, we would go in the way we would do it today. We would take it to a notary and it would get, it would be notarized. Now, why do we do that? Well, to you know, that is a legal way to prove that it was actually our last will and Testament. It's something we came up with and that it's not a forgery. That's the way that we uh, do it today in our country. So we have a covenant that my wife and I made with our children verbally. We put the terms and conditions of that covenant on a paper. And so if somebody wanted to take that paper and say, this is the covenant that we made with our, our parents, or if they wanted to say, this is the Testament, it's the same thing. Okay. It's the same thing because what's contained in that Testament, it's not about paper, but it's about what is recorded on that paper. And what's recorded is the details of the covenant that we made with each other. And so then we have the notary that is what is needed legally to prove that it is legit. Now, Obviously, they didn't use notaries back in that day. So whenever they would make a testament, you know what they would do? They would sprinkle it with blood. That was what they would do. That was how the, that was a part of that testament. And so when it came to the New Testament, obviously, there was a promise that God gave to Israel, but it's also something that is recorded in the scriptures. It's written down. We have the writings. We have the, the, the scriptures. That's the testament. That Testament is describing the covenant. They say they're saying and teaching the exact same thing. That is the only difference between a covenant and a Testament. And let me tell you, if the Testament is not describing exactly what's in the covenant, then there's a huge problem. Okay. And no, a Testament describe it, it is, it's the written details of the covenant and that covenant, that new covenant, it also was sprinkled with blood, with the blood of Christ. And so back to Hebrews chapter nine, because it's pointing out how they, they sprinkled just like, you know, in the, in the old, in the old Testament, you can read about when Moses sprinkled the book, the old Testament with blood, he sprinkled the things of the temple that were a part of that covenant or the tabernacle with blood. And so it says it was therefore necessary that the pattern of those of things in the heavens should be purified with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these for Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, not your temple in Jerusalem, which are the figures of the true, 
but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have offered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself as it is appointed to men once to die. But after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. So that Christ did, what did he do? He poured out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven, in the tabernacle in heaven, because that's the one that makes the difference, not the one made by hands. That one was just a figure of the one that is to come. And so he did, Jesus did the same thing, but he did it in a better way. He did it. He did the real thing, not the shadow, not the pattern. And so the Calvinists are wrong when they go to Hebrews 929, because this is for Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. It's not saying that it's just many that can be saved. And, you know, this proves a limited atonement. No, the many is in reference to the called from the past that he was describing those under the first Testament. That's what it's describing. And then unto them that look for him, shall he appear the second time? Okay. Then the look for him, those who believe on him, everyone after Christ who believes on him, that he He's also got them covered too. So what it's just showing how what Jesus did covered everyone from the past and it covered everyone from the future. And those people in the past, does how can you disconnect believers today from the people of the past whose sins were put under the blood of Christ, just like ours? How, how can you do that? How do you separate the church from those in the past who Jesus was the mediate, their mediator, just like he's ours. How do you separate that? You, you can't that you, you're that it's heresy to try to separate. You're the real replacement theology people. You're the ones that are replacing the covenants and replacing the seed. You're replacing everything that is good and everything that matters. And some dispensationalists even go as far, not, not all, but many even go as far as teaching they were saved by faith plus works under the Old Testament and that they weren't saved by the blood of Christ. That, I mean, that's just, that is, that's heresy. It's blasphemous to teach something like that. So folks, I need you to show me, you know, where these, how these people are connected to these people. All you've got is a genetics that they can't prove. That's all you got. I need, and so I need you to show me how this is connected to this because here's the other thing too. Okay. And again, you know, I hate to use Bible to prove my point and I'm, I'm being extremely sarcastic when I say that, but let me just show you one more passage. Cause remember Hebrews is written to Jews. Okay. Hebrews is written to Jews. And look what he said. We have an altar where of they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. Who, who, would the, who would that they be? I, I think we know. I think he's talking about unbelieving Jews. For the bodies of those beasts, whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin, are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, for here... We have no continuing city, but we seek one to come by him. Therefore, 
Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving praise unto his name. So folks, right there, he said, we have no continuing city. He said that to Jews. We have no considering. He said, we have an altar that they who are serving the tabernacle have no right to. They have no right. Just like the bodies of those beasts are burned without the camp, Jesus Christ was taken without the camp. Let's follow him without the camp, bearing his reproach. You know what he's saying? Leave Jerusalem. Immediately after that, we have no continuing city. We seek one to come. Why is he saying that? You better believe they had a city under the old covenant. Yes, under the old covenant, they had a city. Jerusalem was where God was going to place his name forever, he said. They had a continuing city. God gave them sacrifice. God gave them a Levitical priesthood that God said was an everlasting priesthood. There's all these things that were, they were promised forever, but they found their fulfillment. They found their completion. They, they were finished with Christ. He completed those things. He fulfilled those things. And so what are we doing? We're, we're looking for the new Jerusalem. Okay. So God's got to fulfill his promise. God said he's going to put his name in Jerusalem. Forever. Well, he's going to do that through with better promises through a new Jerusalem. There's a new heaven and there's a new earth coming. And you all are hanging on to an inferior promise. Okay. An inferior promise that was made to these people under an inferior covenant that they broke. And then, but you're, you're claiming God has to give these people an inferior promise he made to an unconnected people here. When the reality is the promises that God made to Abraham and those of faith were completed and fulfilled through Christ. And somehow you want to give it to this guy. You want to connect it to this guy. You want to support this rather than those who are of Christ. You're missing the boat somewhere. Ladies and gentlemen, you, you are completely contrary to the scriptures and you need to repent of this and you need to get right. Okay? That which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And understand, the day could come where this, you know, the Constitution could vanish away. It could go, it can happen. It can go away. And that old covenant, it went away. And and it was replaced with something far more glorious that's talked about, I think in second Corinthians about the glory of the new covenant. I mean, listen, when God gave Moses the covenant here on Mount Sinai, Paul talked about this in Corinthians, his face shone. I mean that, I mean, so it was, it was a glorious thing, but then Paul goes on to explain how the glory of the new covenant of the new Testament far outshines what God gave them on Mount Sinai. The things on Mount Sinai were shaken. When God came down on that mountain, it melted. Those things were shaken. The old earth shook. But God said, one day I'm going to shake the earth and the heavens. And God did that with the things of the new and the better covenant. Those things. And so I say all this to show that this, when you talk about Israel today, let's be precise. Okay. When the Bible says, and all Israel shall be saved, are you talking about this? Are you talking about this? Will he be saved? Is, is he of Israel because he's Jewish, even though he doesn't live in the nation, even though he's not a citizen of that nation? You know, most of these people, they're probably from New York, New Jersey, somewhere like that. 
Um, are they are they the Israel, even though they're, they're not even <clears throat> citizens of that country and they live in America? Is it this guy? Is he going to get saved? Is, is that what you mean? When you say and all Israel shall be saved, is, is that what you're talking to? Or are, are you talking about this? Those under the old covenant and understand the old covenant had not completely vanished away when Paul wrote Romans 11. The temple was still standing. Okay? They, there, there were still Levitical priests and all those things. So understand that that system is gone. It doesn't ex, it doesn't exist. Or are we referring when it says all Israel shall be saved? Is it referring to the people described in Hebrews nine? Who have Jesus as a mediator, those who, who had sinned under the first testament, but they were the called. They were those who are of faith and those who are after him. They're looking for him. Is that the all Israel that shall be saved? Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. That's clearly what Paul's talking about. Listen, Paul, Paul loved these people. Paul loved them, but he understood they weren't saved. And in Romans nine, he showed how they were the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, but they, they could still be saved. He was one of them, but yet he put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so even though he had failed, like all the rest of them under the old covenant and keeping the law, he was protected because he had him. He now had a mediator, Jesus Christ. So everyone who's in heaven, the people of God are those who are in Christ. That's it. And so I, I, I need somebody Okay, when you go through Romans 9, 10, and 11, and you keep talking about Israel, you be very specific about what you're talking about. Stop making promises to Israel applicable to this guy. He's going to hell for sure. There, there's no change. Don't make it about this guy. He's going to hell for sure. No doubt about it. Don't make it about these people. They more than likely will. Now, they're not cast away, meaning... They could still be saved. I don't, you know, can Bernie Sanders and Netanyahu be saved? I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, the blood of Christ cleanse all sin. Do I think they will? No, <laughs> it's just, I, I, I highly doubt it. Um, I'm not here to declare who's reprobate today or not, but either way, um, I think I've been, I think I've been very clear on this and you know what? Stop letting people play tricks with you and just take the word Israel in the Bible and use it however they want. There is, they need to prove the connection of these people to these people. Okay. And they're not doing it. They are not showing the connection. And the burden of proof is on them to do that. I can show you my connection to not so much these people. Again, I can, I can show my, my connection to the remnant of those, of these people. Okay, the remnant. I can show my connection to Moses and to Joshua and to Caleb. Hebrews 11. We all do that with Hebrews 11. What do we call it? The hall of faith. And, and we are, we're connected to those people because we are people, people who are of faith. So um, understand most people today when they're going to Romans 11 and just absolutely butchering that passage, they're playing games. And they talk about Israel. They're showing places where it's talking about the nation they're talking about the nation of Israel, like we see right here in this picture, and they are connecting it just immediately. They're immediately connecting it with this.
and there, but they can't show the connection because something happened after Romans 11 was written and that old covenant, which made these people Israel that gave, that gave them a system and a nation, all these things, it vanished away. It ceased to exist. They were destroyed. And you say, well, they were brought back in 1948. Okay. Um, where's the law? Where's the temple? Understand that old covenant. It had a divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Why, why would God go back to those things? Understand there cannot be an Israel like there was back then without the temple and all those things. And then God finished with those things. Hebrews couldn't be more clear. We're not going back to temple sacrifices. And some people are teaching that. Okay. I, ha I have no words for you except Ruckmanite. If you're teaching something like that, that's heresy. So I've been very clear in this. I've been very precise. When you are accurate in your doctrine, you have no problem getting real specific, getting real precise. When you are in error, you have to be very vague. You have to be very general. You have to conflate everything. You, you, make, you make these people all one and the same. That is ridiculous. They are not the same, and you cannot show any biblical connection. You cannot show any legal connection according to the scripture. You're just going with someone's preferred identity, and I think you're a hypocrite if you do that. If you're going to do that, then you need to admit that Bruce Jenner is a woman. And most of you Baptists aren't going to do that. But uh, if you were consistent and you weren't hypocrites, that's exactly what you do. So end of the day, dispensationalists are wrong. They are dead wrong. They have gone into deep heresy. And uh, it's time that people knock this off. Supporting, okay, supporting this is not supporting this. Cursing this is not like when Balaam tried to curse this it is not it is not the same thing whatsoever and you can't prove that biblically and i challenge some of you to come on and let's use these pictures let's use these scriptures and i want you to show i want you to explain to me how these people are connected to these people i'm in, i'm interested in that so anyway i hope this was informative and helpful i thank you all for watching this we will see you all next time god bless